Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer. In today's program, we're going to be speaking about what's happening in Tunisia. Tunisia has um, been, for the past um, year or more, has um, been sliding back into um, dictatorship. Um, that after being recognized as one of the success stories of the Arab Spring. So we'll be speaking about uh, with an expert from Washington, D.C. about what's happening in Tunisia. And um, we'll also possibly be taking your phone calls. This is um, True Talk on WMNF 88.5. We'll be right back right after this uh, short music break. Again, this is True Talk on WMNF, having just a short problem with my music. Maybe I should sing, yeah, Ahmed? <laughs> Not yet. No. Welcome back to Truth Talk on WMNF 88.5. It wasn't exactly the song that um, I wanted, but it is a song by a Tunisian rap singer, um, Balti. Um, so, um, maybe I'll play the correct song later in the program. A lot has been happening uh, in the Middle East, and I'm joined by with my co-host, Samar Jarrah. Um, last week, we were talking about Sudan and the failure of uh, democracy there. They had a revolution uh, two years ago, one of the last um, or the most recent um, Arab, North African or Middle East countries to have a revolution and topple, topple their uh, longstanding dictator, but only to, um, I guess, slide into civil war between uh, military factions. And we discussed that last week. On today's program, we're going to be turning our attention to Tunisia, which actually started the Arab Spring back in 2011 or the end of 2010. And then it sparked, you know, it was a catalyst for all these other nations to also have their own uprisings, including Egypt and Libya, and, um, I guess, um, you know, Yemen and Syria, 
uh, each country ended up differently. But the one success story that was there was that we could point to was Tunisia because they actually, um, you know, established a constitution. They had elections, several cycles. Um, but now uh, things are looking a little bit different. Um, some are, are you surprised that none of the countries of the Arab Spring have actually had, you know, were able to uh, successfully get it, you know, establish their democracies, even though the will of the people was there for freedom and um, to have to make their own choices as far as uh, what leaders represent them and uh, the right to self-determination. Good morning, Ahmed, and good morning, our listeners. I will not say that I am totally surprised or depressed about it because um, the Arab world, after uh, it got rid of the uh, British mandate and the French mandate and occupation, uh, the systems that were put in place and supported by uh, Europe and the U.S. were uh, autocratic or uh, authoritarian uh, systems, and they fell within the great game of the superpowers of um, either you have to be with the Western camp or with the communist socialist camp of the Soviet Union. And this is how the whole world was seen from that uh, prism, Ahmed. Uh, so the Arab Spring really was um, a revolutionary thing to happen for the people, especially the young people, to say it's enough, we can't take it anymore, we do need uh, some sort of uh, democratic representation. Now, um, that happened, but at the same time, I think uh, these people were a little bit naive. They trusted the old guard or the deep uh, state, they trusted the uh, military, for instance, in the case of uh, Egypt. In the case of Tunisia, they trusted so much that no outside powers, and I'm talking about regional uh, Arab powers, would interfere. So they went to the streets, overthrew Ben Ali. Ben Ali uh, ran uh, away to Saudi Arabia, and they started this uh, process of um, uh, of democratization, election. They elected uh, leaders, and I'm sure Munji can talk about it. But they trusted so much in the process that they they forgot about the need of demonstrating in the streets, the need to always go back to the street and show whoever is in power, even if this person came to power through election, that the will of the people will get rid of you if you start tampering with the democratic process, if you start using the democratic process to take away from the people uh, the rights uh, of demonstration, freedom of rights, freedom of speech. So this is, I think, where um, where my disappointment is, is that people didn't realize that you do not overthrow a system and uh, relax about it and go back to your uh, homes and not uh, start being active again. That's where I think Ahmed that's my like two cents on what happened. Of course, every single right, I think. Right. I mean, it's, you know, I think you're right in the sense that, well, that's one thing that we always heard that, oh, if this uh, guy doesn't fulfill our promises, we can always go back to the street and, you know, overthrow him. Well, um, it seems like, you know, that was a naive thing uh, to think that the, the streets will be available for you. Well, how were you able to mobilize before if all the people 
that were leading the revolutions are now, you know, one by one in prison and who's going to activate the people. And then also not to mention the role of the media, um, especially uh, if it's state-owned media or censored media, medium, whatever it is, it's uh, not free speech media like we have uh, here where uh, uh, either the government controls the media or um, rich uh, oligarchy that are loyal to the government uh, control those media outlets and uh, you know allow a certain narrative uh, as we saw you know especially in Egypt where Mohammed Morsi who ruled just for one year uh, the media there spent a year basically uh, pushing a specific narrative about um, Mohammed Morsi and um, the political party he represented um, and the Muslim Brotherhood that he, uh, you know, came from as somehow, un, you know, not Egyptian or not loyal to Egypt, that they're loyal to some sort of agenda. And they actually had an impact on the public. So public opinion uh, changed. So when they were targeted, not enough Egyptians actually came to defend them um, because they saw that they're the, you know, somehow... Uh, not Egyptian enough, or they had an agenda that's not loyal uh, to Egypt. So um, I think something similar may have also a combination of those things had happened in Egypt. And if you remember, we'll ask more, I mean, um, our guest uh, about that, um, you know, the role of civil society, because historically the civil society in Tunisia was very strong. In fact, they had won a Nobel Peace Prize uh, because of that. So, um, I'm going to play my song again, and uh, after that, we should have our guest on. Um, this is True Talk on WMNF. We'll be right back. We are also live on Twitter. If people follow Twitter, you can listen. Oh, we are? And, yeah, I am. Uh, live on Twitter and Monji and uh, Tunisian United Network. We have so many people listening online, Ahmed, actually, uh, on Twitter. Okay, we'll be right back. This is True Talk on WMNF. <laughs> Oh, but, yeah, 
Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer. And um, as we said earlier, we're speaking about um, what's happening in Tunisia. And the song uh, we'll play is by a Tunisian rapper named Balti, Ya Hasra. And uh, now we're joined by uh, Munji Dawadi. He is the president of the uh, Tunisia Tunisian United Network, a Tunisian American advocacy group based in Washington, D.C. Welcome to True Talk. Thank you, Ahmed. Thank you, Summer. Uh, pleased to uh, be with you today. Um, you know, we've talked to you before about what's happening in Tunisia and the democratic progress. Uh, Tunisia um, has been seen as the um, Arab Spring success story, the only success story coming out of the Arab Spring where Arab uh, populace uh, rose up and uh, against their dictators and wanted and demanded democracies. Uh, the only uh, country that you know succeeded was Tunisia. They had several rounds of elections, and um, you know it was just a matter of time that they'd become stable. But um, you know, last time, one of the last times we spoke, we discussed how they had an unprecedented election for president, an unknown named President Kais Saeed came to power. He was a person who was an independent, was not involved uh, with any major political parties. He was some sort of um, professor. And it was kind of a surprise to many people. And um, it was a reflection that the populations, the voters were kind of tired of um, the partisanship and the political parties, what was happening in parliament. But now things have changed dramatically where 
uh, opposition figures are now in jail, including the main opposition leader, um, uh, Ranushi, who was the um, leader of the Nahada party, was uh, arrested last week. Um, if you can just give us some, you know, feedback, how did we get here um, through this journey? And especially for listeners that may not have been aware um, of, of, you know, the history uh, that's there. Uh, again, Ahmed Samar, thank you so much for uh, for inviting me. And it seems like uh, your your uh, your show has been accompanying this uh, this journey that Tunisia has uh, has embarked on since December 2010, 17 December to be exact, when the Tunisian people rose up against the dictatorship of uh, Zine Al Abidin bin Ali, and within three weeks. Um, you know, everybody was stunned, including Tunisians themselves. Um, you know, at that time, I, I was—I I lived here in the U.S. For, for quite some time, and for almost 20 years, I didn't go back to Tunisia because of dictatorship. Uh, and so, uh, everybody was stunned that on January 14, 2011, Ben Ali fled the country, and uh, he did that because the uh, Tunisian people went out on the streets in droves in. Pretty much uh, most of the major cities, uh, interior and the coast, uh, the, you know, then the capital started moving, uh, pretty much started to form a consensus that uh, the regime of Ben Ali has come to its end and it's expired and, and a change has to come. And uh, so the institutions, I'm, I'm saying this because this is important for what, what is happening now. Um, at that time, the especially the military institution, the security forces, Security forces at that time was in disarray. Um, you know, police was uh, at first uh, responded to Ben Ali and and, and uh, tried to oppress and, and even, you know, shot and killed uh, Tunisians in the street. However, the military chose not to follow suit and uh, in large part stayed outside that game. And actually, uh, during the last few days of Ben Ali, the military refused to take sides and refused to stand with him against the people. Um, now, fast forward after that journey of uh, transition to democracy that you just described, where we have seen for the first time in, in an Arab country, a free and fair elections, several of them took place, many political parties from the left and the right have participated. Uh, we've seen a parliament that was formed to draft a new constitution that was uh, voted in in 2014 by the overwhelming majority of members of the parliament at that time. Uh, we've seen uh, things on TV at that time. We were following uh, that period where we saw leftist hugging Islamists within the same parliament celebrating the uh, the 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 establishment of a new constitution in Tunisia. Those days are gone. Uh, you know, since then, the economy did not uh, take a, a, a positive turn like the political life did. We've seen some terrorist attacks. We've seen some political assassinations. We've seen some major, major uh, uh, shifts in, uh, in, uh, within the landscape, the political specialty landscape. And then... All of this was uh, highlighted by Tunisians have not seen their democracy, the new gained freedoms, and those positive changes translate into uh, the economy. They did not see their life uh, change in terms of better jobs, better wages, 
they haven't seen that. And so they grew, um, you know, after a long period, they gave enough time for politicians to turn things around, but the, the, the politicians failed to deliver on the economic front, like, you know, just to match what they have delivered on the political front. And so here comes Tai Syed, who came from outside of these political establishments. Uh, as you mentioned, he was a political, he was a, a professor uh, at the university and um, a constitutional professor <laughs> of all. And uh, he promised that he is going to uh, help uh, clean the country from corruption. Um, he spoke about a new kind of democracy, new kind of representation. However, we, and I say we because I supported him as well, as most of Tunisians did, especially in the second round of elections where the competition was a businessman, media mogul who was corrupt and he had, you know, at least he had some uh, major uh, corruption cases in, in, uh, in court. And so there was no choice for us at the second round. We just saw Kai Syed as the default um, choice, and that's why he was voted in by an overwhelming majority, more than 70%. Most of the political parties, again, from the left and the right, voted for him, including Nahda, including the Speaker of the Parliament, Rashid Ghanoushi, who called on his uh, followers to vote for him. Uh, just like uh, other uh, uh, political parties like Tayyar and the um, and and the different unions who supported him, they supported Kaisai. And so he comes to power. He has limited um, you know power per design by the 2014 constitution, but he was not satisfied by that. He saw himself as this. Uh, his legitimacy kind of surpasses the legitimacy of anybody, including the parliament. He saw himself as the the God-chosen and anointed person that the Tunisians placed their faith in him to change the system. And so he waited until we, you know, the perfect storm was galvanized uh, by the COVID-19 pandemic, where we, the, you know, the country was suffering, the health system almost collapsed. And, you know, he, he did a few things to make even the, the situation worse um, by not responding, not collaborating with the parliament. Uh, there was so much fight and infighting within the parliament itself. Uh, the media waged uh, almost a, a campaign against the political establishment painting the parliament as a, as a, a terrible institution. Um, and Kai Saeed has done nothing to, to help address any of those issues. Uh, but he, he you know, seized the moment on July 25th to stage a coup and to announce that he dissolved the parliament. He used an article in the constitution, Article 80, but he twisted it and took it out of, uh, out of context. And, and instead of keeping the parliament in session, um, and not uh, dissolve the government, he did the opposite. He dissolved, he shut down the parliament using the military. And this is where I come back to the, to the military institution as an institution that we respected. We Tunisians thought that the military always going to stay above the political, um, the political arguments and infighting of Tunisians. But the, the military is clearly took sides on July 25th, 2021 and shut down the parliament, shut down the government buildings, and helped Taisa Sayed stage his coup and, um, and took power 
uh, into his own hands. And so uh, we've been on that uh, destructive path of democracy, of dissolving all the democratic institutions. And the latest round of that is we've seen him round up the major uh, political leaders uh, and jail them and and accuse them of uh, serious crimes. But if you look closely into these uh, cases, they're flimsy cases. There's no almost no evidence. Right. The last one is Israel Ghanoushi himself. So he was. Arrested. We're going to get into that. In a, right. We're going to get into that in a, in a little bit. And um, but Summer had something to ask. Go ahead, Summer. Assalamu uh, alaikum, Mujay. Good to have you. Uh, you always have a very interesting um, insight. I was talking uh, with Ahmed uh, before you joined the show. And uh, he was asking me if I am kind of disappointed that the Arab Spring failed or if it failed. And I tell him that one of maybe the things that shouldn't have happened was for, and let me talk about Tunisia, for the people to have so much trust in the democratic process and to think that it can be used against them where we see um, how uh, bin, uh, Saeed bin Qais or Qais bin Saeed, <laughs> get his name right. mixed up, used, uh, used democratic process, like you said, he used the own constitution to take away uh, from what the people died for when they did the, the Arab Spring in Tunisia. So my question, you think that the people relaxed, that the people should always go to the streets or there should be other mechanisms for the general public to make sure that their rights won't be taken away from them. That's one thing. The other thing is, you know, uh, how we think in the Arab world that there is always a a foreign hand related to all this. And some people think that uh, many, especially in the Gulf region, Uh, some autocratic systems and authoritarian systems want to always make sure that there will not be a successful uh, change of guards in the Arab world through democratic means because that can affect their own systems. So was uh, uh, Saeed part of that uh, conspiracy, let's say? Uh, excellent questions, and these are uh, some of them are being debated uh, by the Tunisians themselves and trying to decipher uh, what exactly happened, what went wrong, and why was uh, or somebody like Hai Sayed, who is an outsider, like I described, who has no political party, who is not a well-known person before uh, his election. Uh, he does not come from any strong institution like the military or the deep state. Uh, why, why was he able to, um, to come and take over the system and galvanize and put all the powers under his own hands and was able to single-handedly d- d- dismantle all the uh, great work that was done and no major reaction was, uh, took place against him. And so that, that's a, it's something for, for Tunisians to, to really um, look into and try to understand what went wrong. But I think some of, some of the things that clearly we, we see happen is that the economy, the economy was really take a big hit. The Tunisians that just grew tired of politicians promising them one election after another that things are going to be better. 
that they're going to deliver, and they did not. Also, the uh, international community, they promised Tunisia uh, major support and, and uh uh, you know, but they fell short. Even, you know, we saw that uh, in the interaction yesterday at the hearing where Chris Murphy said that, you know, we did invest in Tunisia $200 million or $250 million uh, or so. Uh, but, but uh, you know, if you look at the, the, that investment for the to establish a democracy in, in, in a country like Tunisia, it was not enough. And uh, we should have done more. And, I, and we agree with him. So, so for Kai Saied and why there was no, you know, uh, are, are Tunisians going to go out on the street and, 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 and demand that Kai Saied, you know, stop this destruction uh, of their democracy? Some Tunisians are doing that. There are thousands of Tunisians who are, you know, they march in the street almost on a weekly basis. Uh, the opposition started to galvanize, started to organize better, um, started to see Kai Saied as the threat, and they started putting together an alternative for him and that's why he moved against them this past two months and moved and started to jail uh, several leaders of different political parties, again, from the left and the right, because he saw that they are coming to start offering an alternative uh, for Tunisians and for uh, Tunisia's partners outside other than Kais Saeed. And he saw that that's a threat and he moved against it. Now, um, moving to your second question about the foreign hands Look, Tunisia is a small country. We are in a very important strategic location. We are sandwiched, you know, between Libya and Algeria. Uh, but we are across the water from Italy and France. And so, yes, um, a lot of interference naturally will take place, especially when you, have, when you, when you opened up the country and you started operating in a, uh, mostly in a transparent way, in a democratic way. And so, yes, there was a lot of hands uh, tried to influence one party versus another in Tunisia. Um, were there people behind Qais Saeed promoting him to against to, uh, at least to move against democracy in Tunisia? Yes, that's a fact. We know that there are several campaigns, especially online campaigns, that supported him during his election and also supported him on this uh, populism trend that he... Um, that he was riding. Uh, until now, we know that there are some um, some social platforms uh, uh, are being managed from overseas. However, what is also obvious right now is that even though they they these forces from outside, some of them from the Gulf, and we've talked about this before, wanted uh, wanted maybe Nahda, for example, out of power in in Tunisia. I don't think they are convinced that Kaisaid is the right choice. Why I'm saying this is because, very obvious, they did not come to his aid. Right now, Kais Hayed has no solution for the economic problems of Tunisia. The debt is mounting. The inflation is so high. He did not bring down unemployment rates. Yet these Gulf countries did not come to his aid like they did, for example, when the coup happened in, in Egypt. Um, and so we think that they, even though they are happy that maybe Nahda is out of power, maybe the democracy is stalled for now in Tunisia, I don't think they are satisfied or even convinced that the alternative is Kais Saeed. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer. We're speaking to Monji Dawadi. He is the president of the um, Tunisian United Network. 
a um, advocacy organization based in Washington, D.C., and we're speaking about Tunisia and the latest rounds of uh, anti-democratic measures and the arrest of political opposition, including the former Speaker of Parliament, Rashid Ghanoushi, uh, who was one of the leaders that, you know, uh, helped steer or shepherd democracy to Tunisia after the Arab Spring. Yesterday, in the Senate, there was a hearing about Tunisia specifically, and um, there's. I'm going to play some audio. This is Mr. Uh, Chris Murphy, Senator uh, Murphy, speaking about Tunisia and um, his meeting with Kais Said, the current president of Tunisia, and uh, what has happened since. I want to play that, and then uh, get your, you know, feedback and reaction. So um, listen in. Here we go. Um, when I first met President Saeed uh, in Tunisia in August of 2021, he told me and our delegation that his intent was not to get rid of democracy, but that he was just going to fix the problem of Tunisia having adopted the wrong kind of democracy, the wrong model, and he was just going to bring a model that worked. But I'm going to be honest, in that same meeting, I saw all the trappings of a despot in waiting. President Saeed was self-adulating, saying that he was the only one pure enough to lead. Everybody else was tainted and corrupt. He was conspiratorial about dark enemies he saw around every corner. He bristled at public criticism, telling me no less than three times that his seizure of power was not a coup. I left that meeting pretty convinced that Tunisia was likely headed in the wrong direction. And unfortunately, over the last 21 months, my worst fears have borne to be true. Since that meeting, President Saeed has followed a dictator's handbook, almost to the letter, disbanding parliament, writing a new constitution that consolidates his power, disbanding judicial independence and employing military tribunals, arresting members of the opposition, including just recently this week, um, treason charges for the leader, the, the leader of the primary opposition. These are not the actions of a leader who intends to restore democracy just under a different model. Um, under the, over the last 21 months that President Saeed has been steadily dismantling Tunisian democracy, the U.S. policy, unfortunately, has been hesitant. I would argue that it's been half-hearted and often naive. By failing to draw hard lines in the sand, Saeed has felt confident in taking one step after another to consolidate power and ignore polite requests from American diplomats to change course. We're talking about Tunisia and only Tunisia today because I would argue that this is a place for the United States to correct course when it comes to our tendency to talk a tough game on human rights and democracy, but then not really lead by example. We cut deals with dictators. We sell billions of dollars of weapons to dangerous autocrats. We send regular signals that there are few consequences for your political and economic relationship with the United States if you move from democracy to repression. And so I argue that this is a hearing in which, through the prism of Tunisia policy, we can also talk about how we can't afford this duality, talk tough but act often too weakly on human rights and democracy. So we're going to ask these questions today, how we can adjust our assistance policy. Uh, welcome back to True Talk. That was comments by Senator uh, Chris Murphy 
in the Senate yesterday on in the hearing about Tunisia, um, you know, some backlash there about the Biden administration, their handling of what's been happening in Tunisia. Um, Monji uh, Dawadi is the president of the United Tunisian, the Tunisian United Network. Uh, what is your reaction to what was said there yesterday? And, you know, what was this hearing specifically about? I think this was because of funding for Tunisia, where, um, you know, military funding has not really changed much and they're treating things as nothing has happened, right? Um, that, that's correct. And, and as you know, Congress, uh, during the springtime, they start debating the budget for next year, 2024. And so the Biden administration submitted its request uh, for uh, foreign funding, including for Tunisia. And in that funding, we noticed that the uh, even though the overall funding has changed and has gone down uh, from previous years, but if you compare last year to this year, the military funding specifically for security um, programs have stayed the same. And, but if you look at the other uh, side of the equation, the funding for human rights and funding for civil society in particular has gone down. And so the, the Biden administration is trying to argue that they are trying to send a clear message to Qais Saeed and his government that uh, the U.S. is not going to do business as usual with Tunisia because of the backsliding uh, in, in terms of democracy in Tunisia. And as you saw there, and we just heard Senator Murphy arguing that what the Biden administration is saying in terms of rhetoric uh, and claiming that it's sending that message, he says it is not translated in this budget request. Actually, the Biden administration is sending the other message around, which is we do care about our relationship with the military. We want to keep that strong. And uh, we're going to look the other way when it comes to democracy and human rights. And I tend to agree with him on that. Uh, the Biden administration has been very uh, flip-flopping in, at least in terms of messaging. Uh, toward Qais Saeed. They, are, they did not talk tough to him. They did not signal to him that they are very serious and that uh, the, the steps that he took and the promises he made and never kept, just like the promise you heard uh, when he met with uh, Senator Murphy, promising him that, no, 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 you know, I'm not going to destroy democracy. Uh, he, he did, you know, after um, that was August 2021. And since then, like uh, Senator Murphy said, you know, Qais Saeed, took Tunisia in a very destructive path and, uh, you know, did everything that a dictator usually does to consolidate uh, his power. Right. I mean, what was surprising about the hearing or that request is basically the Biden administration is uh, reducing or almost, um, you know, eliminating funding for promoting democracy and uh, protecting human rights uh, um, in Tunisia and continuing the military funding as is despite that the military is helping the uh, president of uh, tunisia to um, eliminate democracy so obviously that definitely sends the wrong message i mean you know, so if, if your whole purpose is to reverse what's happening you're not happy and i think senator murphy pointed out if you're not happy with what's happening there, uh, the reversal of democracy, then you would actually spend more money on democracy and less for the military that's uh, reversing democracy. It's It just makes common sense. I don't um, just, you know, it, it would just seem it's sending the message to Kaisai 
uh, the president there that, you know, he's on the right course and it doesn't seem like anything um, he can do could change that. Summer, did, were you also surprised by the his Senator Murphy's frankness in saying that the United States just keeps supporting dictators uh, in the region despite of their behavior? Um, and that's the opposite of, you know, but, what but I wonder the rhetoric. I wonder if he would say the same about the other dictators. I'm not going to name them because I'm planning to travel to the Arab world very soon. Uh, but I wonder <laughs> if they are, if he is unanimous uh, in his, uh, you know, uh, opinion. But I really wanted to ask uh, Munji about Rashid Ghanoushi because he's not a young person and he does have a lot of respect, let's say, and, um, you know, even among non-Islamists. Could you tell us a little bit about him um, and why on earth did he have to arrest him? I, I mean, what was the fear? I know you alluded a little bit to, the, the, to him, but right. I found it to be a little bit kind of a desperate move. Right. More than... Let, let me let me say let me say a word about Senator Murphy because and, and your question or, or at least uh, skepticism is is in the right place. Of course, we're dealing with politicians in D.C. We know how they are. Uh, you know they, they're using some standards again. You know in this place, but they don't use them uh, in, in another country per se. But but uh, to to be fair to Senator Murphy, I think he's been very consistent on this issue. He's been um, outspoken against uh, the dictatorship in Egypt, uh, dictatorship and the, the, you know, Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. Uh, he's been against the war in Yemen. Um, he And he has been very vocal about Tunisia and he's been ratcheting up his criticism of the Biden administration and especially of the, uh, you know, th this, this way of protecting the Tunisian military, even though they are implicated, uh, at least its leadership is implicated in this coup. And he's been saying this for a while. A couple of weeks ago, he did another uh, interview or, or, or an event at the USIP for 45 minutes. He spoke about Tunisia and he spoke and he's trying to use the case of Tunisia to showcase that we cannot, you know, have it both ways. The Biden administration cannot speak tough and, and uh, use this rhetoric of supporting democracy and human rights. But when it comes to, you know, in, you know, implementing those kind of rhetoric on the on its on, in policy, even when it comes to Tunisia, which is, it's easy for the Biden administration to, to, to implement that rhetoric in Tunisia, but they chose for some reason to kind of shy away and use this uh, flip-flopping messaging that's not very clear, and now trying to shield the, the military from, from those policies. So I think I give him credit for speaking of him, and also Senator Todd Young, who was uh, the, the ranking member from the Republican Party, also was uh, well, called out the Biden administration on this as well yesterday. Now, going back to your question about Mr. Uh, Rashid Ghanoushi, look, I've, uh, as a Tunisian, I've read many of Rashid Ghanoushi's books, uh, like a lot of people, and I've seen him in lectures, in meetings, uh, different places. This man has been, for decades, has been preaching democracy when democracy in the Muslim world was, was, like, was not even thought of. There was no discussion on this issue. Mr. Ghanoushi was speaking about democracy, was speaking that democracy and its principles is not, you know, is not in contradiction with Islam and its principles of shura. He, and he was criticized from both sides. The leftist and the progressive camp uh, considered him not progressive enough. 
Yet, and, and then the other side from the Muslim kind of uh, uh, perspective of the Islamists or, on, and, uh, and, and the conservative uh, wing of our community was criticizing him for being too progressive and too, you know, uh, you know what is the, they called him, you know, Sheikh democracy, you know, the, the, that he is the, the Sheikh that's known to, to be talking about always, you know, personal freedom and civil rights guarantees and, uh, and such. And so we, he, he has been very consistent on this, always calling for consensus and consensus building. Uh, anytime Tunisia have seen in, in the last 12 years when Tunisia goes through a political crisis, we've seen him, even under criticism from his own party, seeks to build bridges with others and seek a, a, a way um, out of these crises that avoids any kind of uh, major you know, in, in, uh, issues for Tunisians. And that's what he was talking about two weeks ago before his arrest. He attended a meeting of the Salvation Front, this opposition group. And this is a public meeting. It was live streamed to everybody to listen to. So it wasn't a, you know, a conspiracy. It was not a talk in a corner somewhere. He was publicly saying, literally the video is there for anybody to see, that anybody who is supporting, excluding any entity from political life, whether it be Nahda, whether it be in political Islam or any leftist or any other entity, Anybody who is advocating for that is pushing the country towards civil war. That's what he said, meaning he is warning Faisal Ayyid from not to push the country to a civil war and, and to be inclusive and to embrace people even if they are different than you. That's his message. And for that, they took him to court. And for that, they accused him of incitement and of uh, you know, calling people for civil war. And, and they tried to uh, cut and paste the video that when they brought it in front of the judge and showed him a video only saying, oh, excluding Nahda is a project of civil war. And they did not, and they cut out the piece where he was saying, excluding anyone, Nahda, leftist, other entities, is a, is a project of civil war. And so, um, and, but, but it was very easily debunked and everybody saw that. And uh, then the wave of condemnation came from places where, to tell you the truth, we did not expect them to speak out against the arrest of Anoushi. You know, the French government put out a statement, the Germans, the EU, the US, civil society, left uh, political parties and NGOs, conservative, uh, progressive, everybody spoke out against the arrest of Hanushi and accusing him of inciting violence because the man has spent literally decades, you know, preaching and writing and, and organizing against violence and against uh, radicalization and radicalism. And so everybody saw through that. And obviously, Qaysayed has done this out of desperation. He has no solutions for the Tunisian people. He just wants to, you know, um, show that he is fighting this conspiracy against him uh, from Ghanoushi and others and trying to stroke these differences between Tunisians. Um, and uh, he's failing. He's failing miserably. Uh, Rashid is not uh, young and I think his health might not be uh, at its best. What if it's something happens to him while is, uh, he's in prison? You think, uh, Munji, uh, 
that we can see another uh, de uh, demonstration, another uh, Arab Spring in the streets of Tunisia, or like you uh, alluded to, that they are tired as, uh, uh, you know, Tunisia has not recovered yet from uh, the economic crisis of COVID. Right. Yes, uh, Rashid Ghanoushi is an 81-year-old man. Um, he has some health issues, uh, but we all know how tough this man is. He's been through... Uh, he's been jailed before. He's been in exile for a long time. He's a very patient uh, and a tough man. Uh, however, I think um, we are hoping that uh, this this situation is not going to last too long. We are hoping that Isaid or others uh, around him or some of these uh, institutions um, kind of come come to their senses and see what what is happening here. That that we are. Um, you know, sowing, you know, and, and, and pushing the country to the brink of uh, uh, of civil war, like um, Mr. Rashid Ghanoushi was warning. Like, the, the, you know, we're saying this, not, not we are threatening anybody. We're just saying that this is not a good path to be on. Rashid Ghanoushi has his supporters, has his people. Uh, obviously, you know, we've seen nothing from Nahda or their or supporters of Ghanoushi other than peaceful you know, means of change that they're seeking. Even during the toughest times against Bin Ali, where he threw them in jail and tortured them and killed many of them, um, we haven't seen any any violence coming from them. We haven't seen this party calling for, for anything but peaceful transition and peaceful change. And I think the party has, uh, you know, put out statements, even Ghanoushi himself, after the judge issued the, the arrest warrant, um, what he said uh, is that uh, do you know he kind of cited a verse from the Quran, uh, saying do whatever you you want to do. Uh, Allah will do what what He plans. Uh, but I'm but I stay hopeful. That's what he said. You know, um, he said I stay hopeful for the future, and that, that's the message he wants to send out. That you know him going to jail, facing these tough times right now, uh, is nothing new, and it's and it's a price that he's willing to to pay. Uh, to, to restore democracy and freedom and dignity for Tunisians. Here's us joining us. This is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Spar with Ahmed and Summer. And we're speaking to um, Munji Dawadi. He is the president of the uh, Tunisian United Network. We have a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you, um, in 2015, the Nobel Committee uh, awarded the 2015 Nobel Peace Prize to what it called the national, the Tunisian National Dialogue Quartet, which was made up of Tunisian General Labor Union, the Tunisian Order of Lawyers, the Tunisian Human Rights League, and this uh, acronym UTICA. Um, where are all these civil society organizations now? They were back then recognizing of you know, saving Tunisia from the brink of civil war. What have they been doing um, to push back against, uh, you know, this uh, trend or this, you know, the power grabs and the anti-democratic moves by the current president? Uh, Ahmed, I think if you go back to one of the programs that uh, I spoke with, with you here during that time when the when the award was given to the quartet, uh, in, in Tunisia for for their sponsoring of the dialogue that took place between 
basically Rashid Ghanoushi and Beji Qaid Sibsi. And that brought these two big uh, camps together, Nahda and Nida Tunis, the two biggest parties at that time. And to resolve uh, the, the political crisis of that time peacefully and move on to elections and transition of peaceful transition of power. At that time, I said on your program that for me, the, the people who deserve the, uh, the, the Nobel Peace Prize are Rashid Ghanoushi and Bejikait Sibsi. Those are the ones who actually sat down and they spoke tough to their own supporters. And they, even in the face of a lot of heat and a lot of criticism, but they got into a room and they agreed to take the country out of the out of the mess. However, the international community chose to go to the safe routes, probably, uh, you know, the, the, and and of give the give the peace Nobel Peace Prize to the people who hosted those dialogues. Right. And, you know, the NGOs. Well, where, yes, where, they do where deserve are those credit. They're, they're, in large part, right now, they are silent. Unfortunately. Why? I mean, are they afraid they, or are they? Some of them are afraid. Some of them are for ideological reasons. They do not. They are happy that they saw Nahda out of power, and others are just don't care about democracy. And unfortunately, we have to say that we have to be frank with each other. The international community, for a long time, they supported some NGOs that we've seen them. When Qaisayed staged his coup, they 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 stood up with Qaisayed against democracy, and so. You know, we, you know, one of the one of the things we're calling on the U.S. to do is to review their program of supporting these these uh, NGOs to make sure that you support those who stand with democracy, even in during the tough times. And so, is, uh, me, yeah, that's uh, you know, Russia something and Sibsi, they're the ones who deserve the Nobel Peace Prize. Right. No one else. It, it, it's something that I've noticed about these civil society organizations in the Middle East that get international funding is one thing they have in common is they support democracy unless that democracy brings forward, um, you know, religious uh, politicians or, you know, Muslim um, or Islamic uh, political groups to power. Then they're opposed to this type of, you know, democracy. Uh, your final feed, reaction on that in 30 seconds because uh, our show is ending. Yeah, unfortunately that's, and, and so we have to look at this uh, junction, this coup as a test uh, that uh, to see who is the true demo, the, the democratic supporters, who are the people who are standing to defend true democracy in Tunisia, inclusive democracy in Tunisia, regardless of, uh, of religious or um, ideological background. And, and we know who they are right now. Most of them are in jail, and I hope that uh, the U.S. and the international community keep up the pressure to get them out of jail and free Rashid Ghanoushi and free all the other the rest of the political prisoners in Tunisia. Thank you. This is WMNF Tampa. Uh, NPR News is next. This has been True Talk on WMNF, WMNF Tampa. Have a great weekend. Thank you to Munjay uh, Dawadi and uh, to all of you, and we'll see you at the same time, same place here on a true talk on every thursday 11 o'clock to noon have a great weekend everyone and um npr news is right after uh, us starting now thank you